0: Welcome back to the show. Today, you are in for a treat. We are speaking with Brandon Puffer. Brandon is a motivational speaker and baseball coach, and he is sharing his redemptive story with you. This is such a powerful episode. Brandon is an American former MLB player who played with the Houston Astros, San Diego Padres, and San Francisco Giants. In 2007, Brandon signed with the Texas Rangers playing for their AA affiliate in the Frisco Rough Riders. After a playoff game, Brandon joined his teammates for a celebratory night out, which led to a night of drinking and poor choices. As a result, he was arrested for the intent of a crime and sentenced to five years in prison. After three and a half years, he was eligible for parole and was free to start his life over again. Today, Brandon Puffer is the co-founder of GPS Legends, where he serves as a coach and a mentor to 17-year-old players. The GPS Legends mission is to create a competitive baseball environment by instilling character, developing leaders, and building confidence one player at a time. This is such a fun and powerful and deep episode. As Brandon shares his story, his turning points, he's an open book as he goes through and shares what this experience was and how when he woke up in prison, he sat in a place with in a place of ownership and using this time, deciding to use this time to change his life and reinvent himself. He also shared the journey of becoming a published author and from the bullpen to the state pen and how owning his story is allowing him to continue to make a massive impact with youth in baseball and in life. And one of my favorite things that he shares is if you've listened to this show for a while, you know, my last question is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? This one blew me away. It absolutely blew me away. You are going to freaking love this episode. It's so good. Welcome to the show today, Brandon. I'm so thrilled to meet you and have this conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Marsha. I'm looking forward
0: to it. Awesome. Can you tell everyone where you are right now?
1: I will. I will. I'm in uh, Georgetown, Texas. It's just a little bit north of Austin Mm -hmm. and not in a real baseball stadium, but it kind of looks like it. It does look like a real baseball stadium. Uh, Yeah. Baseball
0: has been and still is a part of your life.
1: It is very much so. Yes, ma'am. I I grew up as a young man just having that dream like a lot of folks of being a big league ball player and was fortunate enough to walk that out and achieve that dream. And then now I feel like I'm even more fortunate to have a youth and high school program and coach and mentor young men. So, um, yes, it's very much a big part of my life.
0: That's be- And did you always play and that was always the dream?
1: I always played. I started very, very young. I liked other sports. I liked basketball and football and those kind of things. Um, as I got probably like eighth grade, ninth grade, it looked like, you know, I just at that point, I just want to be a professional athlete and You know every young boy's dream, right? And then um, baseball was probably the one, the avenue that kind of lent itself to, like, yeah, okay, this might be a a real possibility. And so, kind of really dove in and and hyper focused on baseball from that point on. And and then, yeah, I mean, through fifteen years of a career, and then had, um, I'm sure we'll get into uh, a fall from grace, had to learn some tough lessons, and (laughs) wasn't sure that baseball would be a part of my life again. And by God's grace, it's very much everyday part of my life. And we're done here. I'll be heading to do pitching instructions and coaching kids and oh, awesome. I love that. that. I love yeah. that. So you spent 15 years.
0: Did you say 15 years in, in the in the majors? Is that what you said?
1: Uh 15 years professionally. Professional. So a lot of my time was minor league. I got drafted out of my school. Yeah. And then just kind of a for folks who don't know kind of how the baseball world works, there's you're climbing this ladder through the minor league system. So uh, I got parts of four years in the major leagues, um, but a lot of my time was minor leagues just kind of, they call it the grind, but I loved every minute of it kind of fighting and clawing at my way up there. So yeah, a total of 15 years with all of that. Wow. And it's
0: interesting because I think that that like that time, what are some of the things that... You know, you learned about yourself or about the experience because you know, we've we've seen it from the hockey end where we've had people that we know who have, you know, as our kids were growing up, that were like they stood out, they were incredible. And then as the ponds got bigger, right, then it was like it took a lot more to stand out. But there is a couple kids that our kids played with that made it into that are now playing um, in, in the NHL, but it's like the work and the time that is, it's just, I don't think most people realize the commitment and what's involved.
1: Yeah, no, there, there is a ton. And to your point, I come out of high school. I was kind of thought I was a big shot out of my area. And, and we go into, uh, what was called a ball or rookie ball, and I realized very quickly that everybody was the big shot where they came from. And they're not just coming from the United States; they're in Latin America and Japan, everywhere. So, yeah. yeah, I just really had to dig in and figure out what's the separator. And typically, it's it's just it's really the mental game and it's fortitude. Um, you know, it's persistence for sure, and just not giving up until your opportunity arises. I think some guys kind of give up a little bit too soon. I always kind of refer to it as a war of attrition everyone's just going to keep falling off. And if you stick to it, you just might get an opportunity. So that's what I tried to do.
0: That's, I love that you said that because a couple of things there like mental game, right? The fortitude and the war of attrition. So like, it's, are you willing to stay long enough
1: and not quit? Yeah, I really think it comes down to that. I mean, God willing, you know, you stay healthy and you need some breaks and all, all that stuff's there. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was definitely, I think I was, released in the baseball world that's fired uh, four times before i ever made the big leagues um you know just yeah. different changed arm angles kind of reinvented myself and so yeah but I think if you're if you're wise big enough and you know that that's what you want to do and I always try to take the perspective of you know if I wanted to get in a pity party of long bus rides or whatever it is I, or being broke in the minor leagues it was like well you know people would just die to be in your situation and be with a professional team and have this opportunity. I just think perspective becomes a really big part of it.
0: It does. And is that something that you would say you've always had, like a really good perspective and a good mindset game?
1: Um, I, I I was raised to believe that way. So i had very positive. My mom is a triathlete. Um, I yes. saw what it looked like to get up at four in the morning and go swim or run or bike because you got to work all day and be a parent all evening. So I think that was modeled for me. Um, you know, growing up in my household. And then it 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 strengthened as I really dove in and took my own journey with it and started reading books on the mental game of baseball or just the mental game of of life, really. And and still just a lifelong learner on that. It's like, man, it's so powerful. And um it it didn't I didn't know anything about it, it has it related to baseball until probably 23, 24, a few years into this thing, looking around going, Mm -hmm. man, how am I gonna, how am I gonna bypass all these numbers of people that are as talented or more so than me. And that's when I really started diving in and realizing the power of that. So it's fun to be able to pass that on to the kids now and just kind of, oh. you know, for me, continue to learn it and everything I'm doing.
0: Yeah. I love that you said that because I think that the, like the mental game is something that we face every single day, right? It's something that we face every single day. And it's not like just when things are going great. Like, what do you do when it's not going right? How do you work through those times mentally? And I just think it's, there's so much misconception sometimes. It's, yeah, I've done some reading and I've done some books. I'm like, oh no, it's a daily grind sometimes. Like it's it's daily commitment to yourself and what you're doing in the direction that you're moving in.
1: It absolutely is. And I like to your point, I mean, when adversity hits, that's really when you find out. When it's going well, okay, I'm in a good groove here, no big deal. And then that adversity hits and you kind of, you know, they say when you're squeezed, what's inside comes out. So I think that's the only time we find out, like what kind of teammate am I when I'm not having success and, mm-hmm. or I'm injured or I'm not playing the position I want to play. I'm relating all this to, you know, the field, obviously, but it just for life, like I'm not in the job I want to be in or yeah. this isn't when like, I planned on things going. Like that's when you really figure out, what you're made of. And so I just, I love quotes. Like I'm a big quote guy and it's like things work out best for those who make the best of the way things work out. Like, Mm -hmm. well, this is what you've been handed. What are you going to do with it? And looking back, some of the adversity or say adversity is definitely the most important time for growth. Mm -hmm. We have to have it.
0: We do. And I think in those moments, it's like, okay, so what do I do next? Right. I always go back to Stephen. I'm a huge quote person too.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: huge. Like Stephen Covey's quote pulled me out of some really dark times. And it's that you're not a product of your um circumstances, you're a product of your decisions. And so it's like, you know, sometimes life happens and sometimes it will give you and deal you a hand where you're like, What, wow, how did this happen? And what am I like? What do I do next? But it's really comes down to like, what do I choose to do next?
1: No doubt. No doubt. How do you respond to it? And, and a lot of those um, adverse moments are brought on by our our own choices, our own decisions. And those ones are like, okay, Pretty simple here. I made the choice, and I I need to figure out how to deal with this. And then a lot of them aren't right. A lot of the hurts and and things that happened to us were brought on by others. And so yeah. you can't control your environment 100, but you can control your thoughts and yeah. and um you know how you're going to respond to those things. So that's a great. I love that. I love that quote.
0: It, it pulled me out of some really. It really did pull me out of some dark times where it was like, okay, I can't control so much about what's happening right now. The oh wait, that means the only thing I can control is how I respond. And it was like, oh crap! I actually can't control how I respond. Like it was just recognizing that you do because I think so much when adversity does hit, we're like searching for control, right? Like we think we—I don't know—we well, we think we have control, but we yeah. we know we don't, right? Like we know right. that we don't. So I don't know if that relates to you and that hits home, but it's just that piece of like this is this is what we've got. So what do I do next with it?
1: Yeah, no, that's huge. It definitely, I definitely relate to that. And then it's like. For me, the it's always been okay, you know. Whether it's faith or positive thinking or whatever the foundations are, I, I really don't realize what they're made of until something something happens. Like mm-hmm. my first real adversity as an adult was a separation from my first wife. I was away from my little girl for the first time, and I had been sober for five years. And I thought, man, I had you know I had some sobriety, and I you know I was doing things right. Now it's like, okay, but let's see. Now that things aren't going so hot and that and I found out that time that I didn't have a great foundation, not only in my faith that I thought I did, but in my, you know, in my decisions, in my in my attitude towards things. And so I actually fell off the wagon for the first time right then, after five years of thinking, there's no way I'll go back down that path as quickly as it happened. uh, You know, and my foundation wasn't there. So it was a great lesson because I'm always quick to tell people. You know, as much as we think we have it going on, and as much as today I've been sober 15 years and making good choices for the most part, and things are going pretty well, you're always really just one decision, one phone call away from things flipping. I, and for the positive, I mean, you can mm-hmm. all of a sudden something awesome and great can happen today that you didn't you didn't think was going to happen. But also, your life can be flipped upside down, and so you really got to be intentional about your foundation leading into.
0: Oh, I appreciate you sharing that because I I think that's a really powerful lesson. I have had the privilege of interviewing a number of people who have come through um, stories, whether it's through addiction through of of any kind, through trauma. But they they will look at it and say, like, I am this many years sober today, and I realize that like my foundation. I hear that a lot. Is like that foundation is what's going to help me have tomorrow and have the next day, but it's staying present in this time now. So you were in this space, you were five years sober. Is that when that led into this story, into your story?
1: So, yeah, in a sense, yes. Now, what led into my story didn't occur for another four years, but that was the foothold. That was laying the groundwork for, okay, we can get them back out there and and, and doing some of these old habits. You know, it's a setup for failure. So um Started in, like I said, 1998. During that, it was a spring training in 2000. Or excuse me, was saved in 1998. Was doing the right thing, was sober. And then in 2004, this life event happened. I was in spring training with San Diego Padres. And it just kind of started working on me. Those little compromised little voices. And people in addiction know this all too well. It's like, that was five years ago. You were more mature now. You can handle a few drinks now. And yada, yada, yada. And on it goes. And so I, I compromised. in the first time? nothing really happened. I had a few beers in the jacuzzi. Okay. The next night I was like, well, the guys are down there and you know how this, this cycle goes, yeah. you handled that. Well, go ahead. You know, and before, you know, it I was on that slippery slope. And then I, I kind of tried to rein it back in mm-hmm. and it became back and forth, back and forth, double life, double standard. And then it all came to a head on that night. Um, in 2008, where my story kind of takes that at the time kind of tragic fall. And then the redemptive story of it is where I am today. But yeah, so that laid the groundwork for sure. And then just that constant compromise and that battle in my mind of, you know, you know, Paul talks about in the Bible, like, I want to do right. I know what's right, but I don't do it. And that's mm-hmm. where I was during those years. Like, I know what's right. I have a foundation here, but I'm not doing it. I'm not walking it out.
0: It's well, Thank you for sharing that, because I think that that's a really powerful piece, is this piece that, like, most people know what we're supposed to do. Like we know, we know what is going to help us to lead a healthier life, to lead a happier life. Like we know these things, but putting them into practice is, is a different story.
1: It truly is. We have a choice every single day and, you know, I can go on all the podcasts in the world and write my book and share my story and people will still be surprised to hear like, Oh yeah, every day I wake up, it's a battle in my mind. Right. When I get up, it's like, here we go all the way till I go to sleep. And so if I'm not kind of fighting back with the things I know I need to be doing, being gotcha. intentional with my thoughts and things I'm reading and things I'm doing. And it, I'm, I'm right there again. And I wish, and some people say, you know what, I've been delivered from all that. I'm good. It's that's great. That's their story. Not me. I'm fighting every day. I'm <laughs> like, right there with go. you. Yeah. I am seriously
0: right there with you. It is, it's a work every day. And I I own that. Some days it requires way more work than other days. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I think the, the challenge sometimes is not judging ourselves in those days of thinking like we're failing. It's not that it's that we know what tools we need and some days we need more of them.
1: Oh, that's a good point. And that's an encouraging point because I certainly have those days where the imposter syndrome sets in and I'm like, here I am mentoring folks about this and that. And, and my thoughts are, are off crazy today know, whatever the case may be. And, um, so reminding yourself of that, you know, no shame, no guilt. You know, you're, you're bigger and better than your worst mistakes. You know, just a constant reminder is great.
0: Yeah. And I, I love that you shared that. And I think it's so powerful when we're talking with kids too, so that they, you know, cause sometimes they have the lens that they look up in social media and think like, Oh, they've all got it figured out. And it's, and it's, and it's like, no, 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 no. You're looking oh, at wow. a snippet highlight of one person's day And it doesn't actually really give you a clear picture of what they're doing. So I would say being mindful of like comparing to where someone else is at because you don't have a clue what else is going on in their day.
1: That's a great point. And I think honestly, Marsha, that's the key for why I share so openly and transparently. And some people are like, isn't that embarrassing? I'm like, yeah, every time. Well, it is. I mean, it's embarrassing to share like some of the stuff I've done and just been a knucklehead. And but The reason I do it is because I I just am so encouraged by other folks who do it. Mm -hmm. And and I'm always telling people and kids and whoever, if you're struggling, which we all are, Mm -hmm. you're going to believe in your mind that you're the only one. Oh, my gosh. If people knew this about me, they'd think I'm so off and I'm so not true. And then I share just so openly about some of this stuff. And it's like, you're not the only one. You're not. You're in this with us. You're not alone. And, And I think the more folks that come out and do that, and there are people that encourage me in this way as well, for sure, that I just try to follow their lead the more you know young men women or even just adults who are for, for the first time trying to face some of this stuff are going oh maybe this is more normal than i thought and it really is i mean once it you is. start sharing people are like oh yeah that's i've been through that and you're like oh, okay i'm not the only one
0: no no it 100% is i mean as as we start to do this i would love it if you would share and take us back to that night, or anything that led up to that night, so that we have some context and where your life really changed direction.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, fast forwarding to a year like 2008, mm-hmm. I had uh, towards the end of my career, well, it would end up being the end of my career. Um, a lot of folks, I don't know if you've seen Bull Durham, you've seen the movie, oh, yeah, movie? Oh, oh, yeah. yeah classic. Yeah. I was kind of like Crash Davis role, I had got a little big league time, I was like 32, went back to uh, excuse me. <coughs> to double a uh-huh. to kind of mentor what would be a bunch of 19 20 year olds really good prospects guys who are you know they had their eyes set on the prize the big leagues and so ironically i'm there to be a mentor and kind of show them how to prepare and routine and these things and so um back to my point about not wanting to share how messed up i am i was the chapel leader on that team i was their leader on, on all in all aspects and They would constantly ask me to go out. You know, hey, they're having a good time. They're bulletproof. They're twenty. I've I've been there, and they're like, like, "Guys, no, it's not for me." But I'm going out on my own. I'm kind of living that double life, double standard. Did not want them to know that I was messed up again because I'm their leader. They look up to me. No, I don't. They can't know this. Then I'll lose all credibility. And you know, whatever the case may be, um, where they probably needed me to be more transparent. Like, hey, guys, I get the struggle. Like, I'm in it. Um, So anyway, fast forwarding, um, September. Twelfth of two thousand eight, I had said no, no, no all year. No, I'm not going with you guys. We're in the championship series, and I'm just driving into the ballpark, real routine, guys. So for the past fifteen years, I have get up, do the same thing, go work out, eat, routine, go to the ballpark, yada yada. And I'm driving in, and then something in me was like, I'm gonna go tonight. Like I want to go have a good time with these guys. And look, for some people, that's okay. They can go have be social, and I'm not here to judge anyone else's walk or. But for me, I knew I'd seen it enough through my own father, through myself, that these choices and decisions just never ended really well for me. But again, and there was a small voice going, nah, eh, that's not a good idea. I wouldn't do that. And, you know, because so if people listen, if you hear that, it's like, pay attention. Mm-hmm. Well, I ignored it. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to go out with the guys. And so, again, you know, September 12th, any other day we play a game, we have some drinks, we go out. You know, I'm not going to glorify all the things, but we're clubbing and going to the bar and whatever. And um, September 13th. I wake up and I have an orange jumpsuit on, and I'm in a county jail sitting next to a bunch of other folks with orange jumpsuits on. A friend of mine had come and bailed me out. I had called him, don't remember. I was blacked out. And I said, What is going on, man? Like, what in the heck is going on? He said, Well, you called me, and I thought you were kidding, but uh, I a joke on me. I'm glad I, I took you serious. I started reading through the paperwork and I started going, My goodness what in the world? So what led up to that? And I'll, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Um, Because I had, I, I went and did three and a half years in prison. I know I'm fast forwarding, but that's I okay. had plenty of time to really self-reflect and go, hey, what got you to this point? Mm-hmm. And really what got me to that point was A, yes, the alcohol. Absolutely. But I had always, as a young man, my vision of a man, and this is what was walked out for me, was a big, tough, athletic guy who was a fighter and he was a, you know, wouldn't good with women, whatever the case, right? So. Well, I tried to model that. And then I go off to professional baseball as an 18 year old and, and you have freedom and, and you think you're you're something kind of special, which you're really not. But at the end of the day, you have opportunities that are out there. And I lived that life for so long that when I went out this night, Marcia, and I had been trying to do the right thing and be good. And I, I went over to a, a female's house that i had only met one time. I'm just gonna be very candid. And um, I knocked on the door and no answer. It was late, like three in the morning. So of course, no answer. I opened the doors unlocked. I went in and I tried to get in bed with her. And that's where it gets super embarrassing. Like you did what? What? And and and, and I know, and I know how that sounds. And I've had some people go, oh, okay, well, but living that lifestyle and thinking, well, sure, she's going to think this is okay. And you're Absolutely. just this warped mind, um, went and did that. And so I had to really come to terms with a lot of things like, yes, alcoholism, sobriety, but also my thoughts and and the way I viewed women and the way, you know, all these different things that led to me thinking that was okay. And so, you know, it was one of those things where the only thing I really do remember, and this is, I remind myself of this because it's, it oh, you know, when we make these choices, not just you, but I scared her. She screamed. I, I was a stranger in her home at three in the morning and I mm. ran out yeah. and kind of thought I went and played a couple, we had two more games played, um, kind of thought I was going to go away. Um, it didn't. They picked up the charges and I got um, indicted for burglary of habitation. I went in un, un, uninvited and then with intent to commit sexual assault. And that's a very serious, strong statement. And yes, I wanted to kind of fight and go, well, no, nah, my intention wasn't good, but I wasn't going to like do anything against anyone, you know, that type But it's like, no, you put yourself in that situation, you own that. And that's what, you, you know, rather, whatever you think your intentions were, you had no reason to be there. And so that's what happened. And I ended up, I was out on bond for about nine months. So mm-hmm. kind of baseball, obviously to the back burner, everything just kind of let's figure out what's gonna mm-hmm. happen. And I went to a jury trial for three days. I mean, talk about surreal, scary moment, um, you know, three days worth of here in trial. And then um, the jury sentenced me to five years and um, they came and handcuffed me immediately. Uh, my father was there and I said, can I go say bye to my dad? They said, nope. And I, I just went to this holding cell and that's where my life really, really changed. As soon as I heard the clank of those bars and they took everything from me, to be honest with you, Marsha, every prayer up to that point was like, just don't let me go to jail. <laughs> I just don't want to go to jail. Get me out of this. I'm just being honest. Like, of course. At, at that point, I started doing math on how old my kids would be in five years. I started, it hit hard mm-hmm. and as it, as it would, right. Or should. And I just surrendered everything at that point. You know, faith is important to me. And, and, um, I just surrendered and said, look, this is where my choices got me. This is what doing it my way got me, you know, my Frank Sinatra moment. And uh, I'm going to try to walk this out with whatever your plan for my life is from here on out. Not get me out early, not I don't want to go through it. And so I, I walked through three and a half years of of that prison time. And as you can imagine, it's not a great place to be and there's no comforts, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And honestly, the worst part is you just can't you can't hug your loved ones. You can't call them or text them when you want to. And we're a close family. So it was very, very difficult. Not just on me, obviously on my family, on the victim, her family and. Just this huge life moment. But back to what we talked about earlier, it was like, okay, this happened. This is where we are. Um, This is my new normal. And Mm -hmm. how am I going to walk it up? What am I going to be? And and I decided that day to be an encourager in there. Got to encourage a lot of folks that I would never have the opportunity to probably speak to, you know, as often as I I did while I was in there. And really just had a new heart for people. Like 99% of them made a horrible decision while on drugs or alcohol. So we obviously know, you know, the issue there. Um, and the vast majority were very good people, talented, artistic, different things, um, gifted. And they just, and a lot of them are sitting there right now, much. They're never going to get out. You know, they made a mistake that's going to keep them there. And so really opened my eyes to this, this choices and consequences deal.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. I, I, I love this piece that, you know, um, you surrendered and decided to, you know, be the encourager in prison. Was there ever a time where you felt like this anger or frustration or was it of like, okay, this is where I'm at. This is like, this is the new reality and this is what I'm going to figure out.
1: You know, there was frustration and sadness for sure. Never anger, never, um, I never really allowed myself to go there and I would even have folks in there when I would explain the story, they're like, wait, you've never been in trouble. Da-da-da. You, you know, And it's like, no, 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 I'm not going there down the path. Uh-huh. I shouldn't be here. Or, and, and it's not like I felt like I was any better than anybody in there. I, I did what I did. And these are my consequences. And so never really allowed myself to go there. Um, definitely every every day I woke up, it was, hey, just kind of get me through this. And another day, here we go. And every night I laid down to go to bed, it was thank you for pulling me through another day. And thank you for, I t- kept a journal, which is in my book. So some pretty cool things that, that went on. And I just always tried to see the silver lining. I tried to stay in classes, cognitive intervention classes. I read a ton. You, I was never going to have more time to read. And so really just tried to reinvent myself, reprogram my mind. Um, and, and, and you know, again, you have to be pretty intentional when you're there to reform. It's not really set up to reform. It's it, it, But at the end of the day, that's what I chose. And and it, uh, it changed my life for the better. And now as a coach and a, and a mentor in those things, I think, the baseball piece is important. Like, yeah, I made it to where you're trying to go and I can maybe help you through that. But also like, look what else I bring here. Um, you're going to be a, a father and, a, um, you know, a a son and a brother and a husband much longer than you're going to be a baseball player. So oh. here's some things that, that helped me bring that to the table. And before that, I, I was just consumed with self, you know, just my career and my goals and, and all that stuff
0: thank you for being so like transparent, vulnerable, honest. I I love it. And I know that that's, what's going to make this episode even more powerful for people because it just hits home with that. And, you know, I think most people go through a time where it is about self. Like, I I do think that's probably normal. And, you know, I think that um, we, again, we hit that crossroads and we decide what to do with that. But it also sounds like to me, you hit that point where, it was a piece of, of ownership of saying, okay, this is, this is where we're at. So this is what happened and this is what we've done. So what can I do with this now? And as you took that time in prison, you were able to, you know, encourage and support others and help and learn and read and do those things for yourself. Did you start to create a picture of what life, what you wanted life to look like when you were done and able to leave prison?
1: I did, Marsha, I did. And and to be honest with you, I didn't allow myself to go too far with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I could have never imagined how good it could be on the other side of that. I really couldn't have. And that, that's another encouragement why I tell my story is the redemptive power of like, it takes humility. It takes owning your choices. It takes changing your behavior for sure. Um, but once all that was in place and it was little by little, uh, uh probably, I think I've been out about eight years now. Okay. And I look back on that time and I took a very humbling job at a local baseball stadium. I had played, I, I played there. I pitched at the A park here in Round Rock and they're like, well, we can help you get work, but it's going to be maintenance. And I'm like, well, I can't fix anything. And they're like, that's fine, but how about can you paint? Can you stain? Can you blow out the bolt? Can you can you pressure wash it? Man, I can do all that. So I would just get in there, and I was just so happy to be free. And just I always tell people like, just be very faithful in the little things, and more will be added to you. And that's what I found. And then like, you know, I remember a parent reaching out and going, or maybe it was even someone at the stadium going, hey, this parent wants a pitching lesson. I used to give a lot of one-on-one instruction, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. with me you know that shame and that guilt of like are you sure and i, I went in very reluctantly and it's crazy because i mean like i said tonight i'll be doing tons of pitching lessons and i just love it yep. but I, I i was like i'm not sure you know and it went well and then okay I, I enjoy doing this and that led to a couple more and then to teams and now we have this program about 30 teams 300 families and just step by step you know it was just walking out the next step and i'll be honest if you ask me was I sitting in prison manifesting this going, yeah, one day I'm going to run this program. I'm like, no, I was like, God, I just hope I can be accepted again and have my family. But like the, the, my kids being, um, you know, reunited with me and our relationship right now, you're in there and you're not seeing them and communicating with them and they're in their formidable years. You're thinking, am I ever going to have a relationship with my kids? Yes. Yes. I always encourage people about that. I'm like, I know you miss your kids, but I'm telling you, man, that they, be there and and they'll they'll forgive. And my relationship with my kids is incredible now. Mm. But again, I think the important part is that I did have to definitely humble myself and I needed that. And I did have to change my behavior. And So I I think it's an encouraging thing, but there's some work on our part, right? So I don't think any of that happens if I just go in and knucklehead my way through my sentence and come out going, here I am, I'm back same old guy and then i don't think any of
0: that happens no i couldn't agree more and i think i love that you said like you didn't just sit there and manifest this it was like how can i actually be the best version of me like what can i do and use this time and it's probably a blessing that you had one person ask you know could we do some pitching lessons and yeah. you had to go through that time of thinking really like you want me to do that like that's that that moment so that's a blessing because that like puts I always say there comes time in life where we have to borrow belief from others until we can build that belief back in ourselves. And we should always be surrounding ourselves with others who can pour belief back into us because there's going to be times where we are going to need to receive that. And there's going to be times where we can give that.
1: Yes, that's outstanding. And I think we're always best equipped to help those that are going through what we went through. So I kind of sought out people that have maybe been asked for when I was inside volunteers would come in and share and God bless every single one of them that did it. They took their time to come into a prison and share the ones who had done time and shared that are the ones I really perked up. It was like, wait, wait, you're on the other side of this. Tell me more. The ones who were just sweet and well-meaning and had great hearts and came in and shared, but had never been through it. Usually, I walked away going, Yeah, you don't know. Like, you, you don't yeah. know what we're about to walk back to. And so, it, that's another reason why I think I'm always so open about my story is to try to, like, go, look, I've been there, I've been down there. Come on, we, you can get back up here. It's just, here's kind of how we walk it out. And you're right. I, I had to, I, I had guilt and shame, and I still battle. I still battle. Um, and borrowing that belief from others, that one person, I don't remember who the first one was. I, I wish I did. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was going to lead to, but them showing um, belief in me going, Hey, you still have knowledge of this and you still know how to communicate. Yeah. You made a mistake it just really. And there's been countless times since uh, I'm going me really. Oh, awesome. Uh, and it just kind of builds from there.
0: Mm, I love that. And so as you started to do that and, um, you know, coach people and giving lessons, how did the vision start to grow bigger? like what did life like cuz you now what you're doing is is such a huge step up from that one person you were coaching so what how did the vision continue to grow
1: it was really step by step it was just walking into the next step and then going so again one lesson turned into a full schedule of lessons and then i helped coach a team somebody in the area said hey you want to coach a team i said oh i'd love to and they showed a little belief in me and i just loved Coaching kids up through the weekend—that was so much different than the one-on-one and just the, the battle within—and all that stuff was awesome. And then um, the same organization that had me as a maintenance guy said, "Hey, we think you're ready to be promoted," and they made me a baseball um, operations guy, so a, um, a youth coordinator to the community. And I'm like, "Wow, really?" And that gave me a little more. And then they said, "Hey, what if we start our own teams?" Okay, I'll just—I'll go walk that out and a couple teams. And then I took a leap of faith and went out on my own mostly because it was a great organization, phenomenal people. Um, wow. Nolan Ryan, his children own it. I mean, not a better baseball family no. organization to be a part of. but That was their legacy. They had already built their legacy. And I was like, I kind of feel like I'm here to build a legacy for me as well, and I don't really want to coattail their name. And there was other things that was hard to kind of like – they were very busy with the AAA ball club, and I'm over here banging on their doors going, hey, I need – more of this. And I need group emails. And I need marketing. And I need, I need an account. And it was like, oh, so we started figuring it out on our own. And then we go out of necessity. It's just like, you know what, we're already doing this. Let's just go do it. And so it's just been a leap of faith and being available. And then just kind of walking out the next step. And I don't where it goes from here. I don't know. Um, but I'm just going to keep making myself available and walking it out.
0: Yeah, you know what, you're creating opportunities because you keep making yourself available. And then you keep saying yes to the things that you know, it's not even just that, like, you're in your element, and you're doing the things that you like, but you, you're reaching kids, and you're helping kids. And I don't, I just, I I think that that's so important right now. I really do. I think it's so incredibly important right now. There's this, like, we're like the most, as they say, the most connected, disconnected society ever.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, we we are. And, yeah. It just gives me the opportunity to speak into their lives. It really does. And I, I've noticed just, and you don't always see it, right? You don't always see the, the fruits of that, but the occasional text message from a former team, you know, guy on my team or a parent who's grateful for where their son is or to be a small part of that journey. it, it just the more you get fed that like, wow, we're helping people. The more you just want to keep doing it. Keep doing oh, it. Oh,
0: absolutely. It. Yeah. Absolutely. And then that led into your book. So tell us about your book.
1: Yeah, my book, it's called From the Bullpen to the State Pen. <laughs> that was a title that I, I thought, you know, I, it came up. I was actually in prison. and I was journaling and I was thinking about it and I, I wrote that down. Um, I've always felt called to to, to write a book um, and just, again, share my story openly and candidly. And then I partnered up with a guy that helped me through the process because I found that I could really write a workout program, or a throwing program. But, and you know, I got the advice, just write a chapter a day, do this. It just was taken for it. I just put it up, put it down, put it. Up. So I got with an awesome team, and they helped nice. me and held me accountable. And um, we got the story out there, and so now, now it's there. And so now it's you know something that I'm hoping will encourage folks for for a long time and be a legacy for my children and and that type of thing. And so far, the reviews have been good and positive, and it's created more opportunity to come out and share the story. And so it's just again, it was one of those things. I had a small list of things I really wanted to do. And write, publishing a book was definitely one of them. And so now mm-hmm. it's like, gosh, awesome, we get to check that box again. And so um, it's been enjoyable. It, it's been really enjoyable. And I just, again, I, I actually wrote it with the idea of encourages at least one person that's worth it. And, and we've already kind of gotten that feedback. So the rest is just gravy on top at this point.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. I, I can relate in some ways, different story, but I, I always felt I was going to write. I wanted to write a book. I just didn't know it was going to come from my most challenging experience, right? Like it's it's funny because you think, oh, it's going to be like, what do I, I want to write about? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, it's going to be actually one of the, the hardest parts yes. of your life. And when you can share that though, I the one thing I can say firsthand is like I've connected with people that I've never met before and I think that's the powerful thing about sharing a vulnerable story.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it isn't, you know what? It kind of Marshall, it kind of loses its power. Not not the seriousness to it, none of that. Yep. But it kind of loses its power when you get out and say it and go, yeah, yeah, it's out here. I mean, you don't have to tiptoe around me. You can ask me questions. Yeah. If I'm coaching your son, I would fully expect you to want to know all about this. Um, and it just kind of like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, that happened. It's something that happened, but very open about it and he's very transparent about it and in fact we're using it for good and so just another one of those things where it's like i would have never expected something so traumatic not again not just for me for everyone involved to become such an asset in helping others deal with what they're dealing with and so that's that's just another one of those god things where it's like I, i mean i thought this is the end of my life this is it i'm over with and now um, no, we've got something else for you. You just took a little longer to get on the path.
0: <laughs> yeah, you definitely like we take the detour and then you have to come back. And it's like, oh, no, actually, this is this is how it's going to unfold. Yeah. Um, You set that intention and you put that intention out there that it was like going to help one person. And it has it has done like more than that. And when you do that, I also think the one thing I wanted to say, like when we We always have this fear of shame, of judgment. What do people think? All these things. And one of the most powerful things I have found, and I can hear it in your voice, is you just speak it and say it first. Like, you just speak and share the story and say it first. Because you don't leave room for for judgment, right? Like, shame loves us to keep quiet. And I think that with you and your story and what you're sharing and what you're doing, it's not just helping people with your story, but you're also showing so many youth that <laughs> you're gonna make mistakes things are gonna happen. It doesn't have to define you and who you are and your entire life right like this is this is just such a powerful part of your story
1: well thank you yeah and that's certainly uh, a part I want to convey and then it, uh, again like we mentioned before it loses its power when you're struggling with something and it's beating you up every day and you just say it just, if it's yeah. to me, it's to your friend. If it's to someone you trust, just say it. And you're going to be surprised that they're probably not as surprised as as you think they're going to be like, oh yeah, that's normal. But now it's out there. We know, and we can attack it. But when we keep it in and we don't address it, then it just keeps attacking us. And that's when it gets really, really tough.
0: Amazing. Amazing. So you're right now with the, which you have created, did you say 300 teams or families? What did you Families. Yeah. We yeah. usually have
1: like 25 to 30 teams Amazing. and um, yeah. So on any given season it cycles through and you've got different families and, and different, you know, uh, folks that we're able to kind of help. Uh, our big passion is just kind of helping them be the best version of themselves on and off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and look, we hold them accountable and we we're all about hard work and having the right attitude out there. But again, it's just using baseball as, as a platform to, also, we talked about earlier what's going to separate you, even if you are very talented, and we see some very talented young men, i'd be able to speak that into their life as well. Like what I went through in baseball, of kind of the realization of once you get there, everyone's pretty good. And so, mm-hmm. what's going to make you better? And I just love when kids grab onto that, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a positive self talk or, you know, teach them some controlled breathing or, you know, a nice mantra or whatever. It's like, oh my gosh, I wish I knew this when I was your age. This is so cool that you're taking to this. And it's on the coaches because, I always ask this question, Marshall. I'll ask a team, I'll go, okay, guys, what's more important? The physical side of baseball or the mental one? Every time, mental. They know, they know the answer. I'm like, okay, by how much? And they're like, oh, 75%, 80%. Okay. How much do you work on it? Uh I, <laughs> we don't. And I'm like, okay. But we lift and we work out, we hit, and we throw and we and then I but the thing is, I'm like, but as a coach, if I haven't given you any tools, you don't know how to just go work on it. So it's really cool. That's my, that's definitely the most important part for me is really pouring into the mind on these guys. Kind of a, I like call it a checkup from the neck up mm-hmm. and I just love it because it's something I didn't, I didn't get, I knew nothing about it. I just had talent. I grew before everybody else. So I was big and strong, could throw hard. That's all I knew. And then when I figured that out, I was like, well, oh, this is so powerful.
0: Sorry, you caught me totally off there. And I just, I I couldn't stop laughing because I'm thinking, isn't that the truth? Like so many people know, again, we know, right? We know that it's like 75 to 80% is mental, but we don't work on it. And we don't give it even a close to 75% of our time, energy, resources, all of that. Like no. that's so true. That's so and, true. And
1: where that hits home in my life currently, as we sit here today, I know how important all these different things I need to do are. I'll go work out for two and a half hours almost every morning, and that's really huge for my mental health. It really helps me. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, I'll do a quick little quiet time. I got to read a chapter today. Uh, I'll listen like ten minutes to this podcast, so it doesn't change where I know how important this stuff is, but Mm -hmm. I'll work on the physical so much more. And it's like, Holly, it's just as ongoing. So still life learners.
0: Oh my god, it's so that's so good. And that was going to be my one of my questions I want to ask you is like what parts of your foundation that make your foundation now for your mental game? Like when you are like really committed to the things that that serve you best for your mental game, what are those things?
1: Yes, they are my quiet time alone with God. So so reading the Bible for me um the prayer life is very important um meditation has been very very important to me um actually slowing down and i actually follow an app because when i try to do it on my own my mind just goes nuts so i i i I lay down i get on an app i meditate 10 to 15 minutes um i love listening to like self-help podcasts i love like ed Milette and lewis Howes, and some of these people are just oh they just fire me up and so I'm always trying to pour that kind of information into me. And then like I alluded to the physical, the actual workout is huge mm-hmm. for me. And, I, and that, I think it, it stems from many things. And we know there's a lot of studies that show what it provides for you in terms of dopamine and things like that. But it's, it's, if I, I was sick a couple of weeks ago, I had a pneumonia and I couldn't work out and I was miserable. I was just miserable and, um, eating healthy and taking care of my body. All those things encompass healthy life for me. Um, if any of them kind of gets out of whack or I get out of the routine, it doesn't take very long for me to realize that. And how that shows up for me is my thoughts, my thought life, you know, I'm, I'm not being intentional and we can't stop thoughts from coming. So we have to have a good defense against it. And if I'm not putting, you know, I'm not working or practicing or doing my thing, then when those thoughts come, they, they can, they can get in there a little bit and, and I start going down that path again. So, um, yeah, if I'm not intentional about all those things in my daily life then I'll know it pretty quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. And then it's like, if you know it pretty quickly, then what do I do next? Like it's recognizing those yep. things. I And I love that you said, how do I know? For me, I start to get short and I start to get irritable. I start to get, there are times I'm like, like, what are you doing and why are you acting this way? Like, what are you seriously yeah. doing? But it really does come down to the thoughts, the thoughts that it's like I've created these crevices for more of those thoughts to start to come back in. And that's when there's those cracks in that foundation.
1: Yeah. One of the most powerful books I read when I was gone was As a Man Think It by James Allen. And he, he really quite simply put it like this. He said, your mind's like a garden. I'm not the first one to probably repeat this, but it really resonated with me. So it's so simple. It's like, it's, it's, it's a garden. And if, if you don't tend to the garden out, out back or front or wherever, it's not going to stop growing. It's just not going to look like you want it to look. There's gonna be weeds and it's gonna be overgrown and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Same with your mind. Like you can't just stop thinking. So I tell guys, it's like, you're, good luck just going, well, I'm just going to think you're going to think, but if you're not cultivating and tending to it and putting the right thoughts in and repeating mantras over and over and over, then when those thoughts come, you're not going to have a defense, right? So I've got them everywhere. I'm looking right here. It's, as I take on new challenges, I feel calm, confident, and powerful. Every time I go to get on a on a, on a a podcast, I'm like nervous and scared, and I don't know what I'm going to say. And I'll admit that 100%. So I've got to read that. Taking on a new challenge, I feel calm, confident, and powerful. Um, before I walk into my lessons tonight, I'll pray and I'll say, my presence is my power. God, mm-hmm. please help me to help these, these young men wherever I need to help them. But when I get busy and I just go from one thing to the next and I run in there and I'm two lessons in and I'm kind of like, not not caring as much. Maybe they don't know it. Maybe they do. Um, Then I go, man, that's right. I forgot my self-talk and I forgot the things I'm teaching. And so, I mean, we're not going to be perfect at it. We're going to make mistakes. But I think making sure we we have them, we have a toolbox that we can go to when when we're being a little irritable or Mm -hmm. I'm big on something wrong. No, I'm just tired. I'm just tired because my mind's going crazy and I'm like why nothing's wrong but I know I'm acting wrong so it's um just yeah again intentionality with all those things are very helpful for me.
0: Mm, thank you for sharing all that because I I do I think there's so much power in just being real and sharing that, you know, it's, it changes every day and it's our garden. So we're cultivating it and growing and doing, and, you know, like, what are the things it sometimes it's, I've used the garden example, but in different ways. And I love that because, um, you know, we joke around all the time that, you know, the weeds are going to come up and it's, 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 it's going to look messy sometimes. And, you know, do you have space in your garden? Because if it looks messy and it's like, oh, I'll just plant some new flowers. But meanwhile, it's like so overgrown with weeds. It's like, no, we actually need space. Like we have to create space. Yeah. And so I love the different garden analogies. But these pieces on mindset, it's so powerful. And I just, I love that that is an example that you are giving with
1: younger kids.
0: Did you say they're primarily 17-ish? Is that- so
1: we have our program from seven to eighteen. Seven. Uh, yeah, youngsters. Um, I normally coach the seventeen-year-olds because that's their pivotal year for recruiting and all mm-hmm. those things. And I just kind of oversee the rest. I am coaching fourteen-year-olds this spring. Um, I always say I got roped back in. If it wasn't very hard. They're like, "We need a coach." I'm like, "I'll do it." Um, so yeah, I, I, do, I normally I do like sticking with kind of high school ages because they're able to absorb some of the mental stuff we're talking about typically a little better. Um, but yeah, we have some awesome coaches all throughout our program that are gifted in every different age group. And, um, you've got to be a saint to be coaching the young, young, youngs. (laughs) I'm like, God, you guys are saints, but, um, they do a great job of it. It's just, uh, just putting the right guys in the right places. And you're, you know, we have some great men pouring into these guys.
0: Oh, I love it. I actually, I played a lot of women's ball when I was teen and had a scholarship and turned it down um oh, wow. I know. And it was just such a such a thing. It was a big part of big part of my life. And then when my kids were growing up, I actually coached my one son in a rep ball team. And I have to say, it was a very interesting time because the kids were amazing. The parents loved that there was a female coaching. Yeah. Not yeah. all the men liked it though. Oh <laughs> okay.
1: yeah. yeah. My mom had a, my mom coached one of our teams when I was young and she she always talks about that. My dad was always our coach. He was, he was gone for a little bit in rehab and um, she, so she picked it up. She's like, well, I'll be your coach. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was really cool. Yeah. I, you know, more and more there's, there's, there's females getting coaching jobs all throughout and and it's, it's pretty neat. I I have a question for you and maybe I'm putting you on the spot. Who's the best Canadian born MLB baseball player in your opinion?
0: Oh, the, the best Canadian, I I I immediately go to female because this was just oh. like I'm going to go to, and I think um her name at the time, at like when she when we played was it Emily Snellgrove. She was an incredible peach pitcher, and oh. we played. Yeah, we played against her. But um, I was so much more into women's ball. Now I've watched lots of I've watched lots of um ball. We've gone to a lot of Jays games. We've done a lot of things like that. That awesome. that would be so good for my sister. She's really
1: good. Oh. Okay. Well, you'll have to ask her and see if she mentions Larry Walker. Maybe I don't have an answer. I was just curious. I'm like, I wonder what you think. It's a great question.
0: It's a really good question. Oh, I will have to ask her and see what she says. Awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I know you don't like to plan too far ahead, but what do you think is what's next on your, like your life, your journey, what you're doing, what you're creating? What would you like to see?
1: Well, I'm in a a good space right now with with GPS and our program. I really enjoy that. And so I see that being a part of, you know, our life. We're we're growing as a program. We're trying to be really intentional about how we grow, where it's not too fast. Um, So, you know, I'm in a good space there. I think things are picking up with the book coming out for some speaking engagements and different things like that. So I, I plan on, you know, being available for more of that as well and kind of having that and between the baseball and the speaking, I think you know it's a pretty pretty full schedule. So if those two things continue to grow and do well, awesome. I, I, I mean, they say do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Well, mm-hmm. with both of these two things, I absolutely enjoy them. I, I, I'm I'm fortunate to make my schedule and things of that nature. So if I can keep rolling like that, I will. And I think the growth will be similar to last time, really organic and just kind of being available and then looking back and going, oh wow, this. Now we have this and, and, and this is, this has come to us and it just keep adding chapters to the redemption story of it. So yeah, I think, and and I hate to sound like I'm complacent or comfortable because I'm always looking to grow, but I want to grow within what we've built at at GPS and around from the bullpen to the stadium.
0: Mm, I love that. No, it's not, it's not complacent. I think it's like, actually, I think it's present in gratitude. I think it's like being present and being grateful for where we're at right now, where you're at right now and how it's growing and how it can grow organically.
1: Yeah, well, that's a great word. And I'm so grateful for all of it. I really am. And always telling people like when they're upset or and reminding myself, um, just like, gosh, you have an attitude of gratitude. It's really hard to be upset. You know, it really is
0: yeah gratitude will i mean i actually just listened to ed Milet and tony robbins today like you what too. a great you too i mean yeah. I'm, I'm pretty regimented on my podcast yeah. and yeah. i laugh when you said that because tuesdays is is always ed my day yeah and, right and i heard the tony robbins and i think he just said i've heard it so many times but he said it in a different way today that landed and it's just that like gratitude will overpower every single emotion that you have and yeah. the ones that hold you back are um fear and anger those 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 two emotions will block you in all areas of your life. And if you want to change them, you create a practice of gratitude or you turn those fears and that anger into great gratefulness or gratitude. And in a lot of sense, that's what I feel like you're doing is you're taking your story. You could have come out, like you could have been there with a chip on your shoulder, angry, all of those things. And instead, it's like, no. How can I make myself be like the best to grow into my best version? And then you pay that forward with um with kids coming up. And I think it's fantastic.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I listened to that podcast. I got a few more minutes. I was listening right up until the time we went. And at the gym I started it and kind of throughout the day, you know how it goes. So I love it. Yeah. That, so I do. I, that's one of my big goals. Yeah, I'm trying to get Ed's attention. I'm I'm it's a tough one, but I, I chip oh, away. And I when I tweet stuff out, I put it at them. And I always tell people they're like, why do you even tweet on that? You know, why do you do that? I do the same thing with Jay Glazer. I love his mental health podcast, Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I say, You guys watch. I'm a chip away. You watch. I'm gonna be on there. And they're like, okay, we'll see, buddy. So I, I, just,
0: I love your mindset. I do yeah. I love your mindset. I say it like I've said multiple times that I will get to interview at my one day, Mel Robbins one day. Like those are That's definitely. Awesome. I love Mel Robbins. She's a bit of a straight shooter, direct, and she doesn't sugarcoat things. And I, that's my kind of yeah. like real talk. I love it. Yeah. But I say it literally all the time. Like every time I say, I'm like, oh, am I like one day, one day I'm going to get to, right. And you just don't know. You don't know okay. how the world, and as you said before, I don't remember how you said it, but like we can, surprises can happen and things can happen and unfold in ways that we can't plan either.
1: Absolutely. And I can't wait to see you on there or interview. You. It's going <laughs> to be awesome. Go.
0: There you go, right? There you go. Yeah. Well, honestly, this has been fantastic um, to get to know you and to have you share your story with our audience. Where can people find your book or where's the best place to connect and follow you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, BrandonPuffer.com is probably the easiest part. And then from the bullpen to the state pen. Uh, is on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So that, but that's on the website as well. And then I, I'm most active on Twitter, Coach Puff Positive without the E. So Coach mm-hmm. Puff, P-O-S-I-T-V. Um, i do have Instagram and other things, but I'm, I don't know, I just can only handle one thing at a time. So I focus on Twitter and then other folks kind of do the Instagram stuff. And so I love, I love connecting with people on Twitter, LinkedIn mm-hmm. a little bit, but I really love Twitter. So yeah, BrandonPuffer.com shows you all of it though. That's the easiest.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. And honestly, this is just, I've loved this conversation. I have one more question for you. What lesson in life are you most grateful for?
1: That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. I think, and I've said this, I've answered this way before the lesson of be careful how you treat people on the way up because they're the same people you see on the way down was huge for me. Right. And if you think about my journey I was always intentional about, you know, workers at the stadiums or people doing your laundry, whatever the case may be that don't always get the right attitude towards them. Uh, Even in my time of selfishness and and exploring my dream, I always kind of, because my parents taught me this way, like looked for folks who weren't getting attention or, and so now you go and you make it and people are excited for you, but then you have this huge fall and you're coming out and and it's sure right. The same people I'm going, hey, I need to, you know, it's it's a huge lesson. And we should just treat people right anyway. But I can attest, you know, if you're, if you're going great and you're on your way up and you're climbing that corporate ladder, whatever it is, treat people well. Not just people who could do something for you, especially the ones who can't. And then if you ever get in a situation where you're in need, then people will be there for you or the other way. So to simplify it again, careful how you treat people on the way up. Those are the same people you see on the way down.
0: Yeah, I could not, I could not love that message more. And I think that it's something all of us need to be reminded, and we can experience it. And I love how you shared and tied it in. That was exactly something that you experienced: more kindness, more compassion to everyone, and recognizing, you know, recognizing that we're all. I always think to say we're all one decision away from a different life, good or bad. Like yeah. sometimes sometimes it's like one simple decision can change your life so don't judge people where they're at because we really don't and we never know the whole story we never know someone's story we think we do but we don't
1: no that's huge that's no. awesome i love that
0: no oh thank you so much for this conversation honestly i've absolutely loved it
1: me too thank you for having me my was honored.
0: my pleasure Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five star review, and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.